Hello there, everybody. I'm Todd Fink. You're listening to the Kind Mind Podcast, and this is one of my segments called Live Free or Dialogue, where I bring on a special guest to explore a topic together. And if you are listening um, on Apple or Spotify, the way most of the subscribers of the podcast connect with me, I also want to let you know that you can watch this conversation on my YouTube channel at Michael Todd Fink. So today I'm happy to welcome this very special guest, author, transformational coach, and uh, really just an all-around inspiring human being. This is Coot Blackson. Thanks for making time to connect with uh, uh, with me today. You have a national best-selling book published uh, published by Penguin and Random House. Your previous book was called You Are the One. And now you have a new book called The Magic of Surrender, and it's awesome. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Thanks so much for being on the show. The book was inspired by your mother. And I was wondering if maybe we could start there because you have just a really incredible background. The diversity of your parents living in Ghana, living in uh, UK. So if you could, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your background and, and how your mother inspired this book. Yeah, I was, I was born in uh, Ghana, West Africa. So my father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. They are as opposite and different in, in, in almost every element, personality-wise and, you know, ethnicity-wise, culturally. Uh, you know, my father was Christian. My mother was Buddhist. And so I was very blessed. And I grew up in London. So I felt very blessed to actually grow up with completely different cultures and uh, I always felt like a citizen of the world. I didn't feel like I was one or the other. And it was a real blessing to grow up with a mother who was Japanese. And I spoke Japanese with her and she taught me Japanese. And she was really a very special human being. Uh, I think I realized how special she was after her passing. And that's what inspired the, I knew how special she was, but I really realized uh, the beauty of a soul and the great being that she was. Uh, she was such a humble human. And if I, I would just say a couple of things that I know and knew what love, unconditional love was. I had that experience because of her. And uh, it's an amazing thing to be loved unconditionally by someone. And, and so, um, yeah, in 2016, uh, my first book was out and I get a phone call. I was actually just coming off of like a bunch of interviews and Larry King and I was on a high and life has a way of pummeling you to the ground in, in the high moments. And I get a phone call from my father who wasn't, I was close to, but not that close to really. Um, and he says that your mother is, di is diagnosed with cancer. And that really shocked me because she was the one that raised me. She was my everything. She was my best friend. She was my biggest supporter, the person I loved the most. And when you hear such a thing, it really, it, it cracks your heart in a way that you can't control. And so I called my mother and in her typical fashion, she didn't make a big deal of it. And basically I started flying back and forth from uh, Los Angeles to London every month to be with her every month for a week, just to sit with her in chemo, to be with her, to, to take care of her. And what started out as the worst year of my life turned out to be the best year of my life because I went back with every intention to heal my mother. I went back with every intention to, to keep her safe. I went back with every intention to get her well with alternative therapies. And before you knew it, what I found 
was probably a few weeks into the process, I started to feel this deep sense of at first dread, but a realization that there's nothing I do that's going to keep my mother alive. And I began to feel this feeling that she was going to die and it was not in my control. And so I went through this process with my mother of really having to accept that this was her life and this was her soul's journey and this was her destiny, which forced me to begin that process of surrendering. And it's one thing to think about it, but another thing to go through it. And, and that really opened so much up because I gave up hope that she was going to live. I was open, but I gave up hope. And strangely, that full acceptance of her experience, of her circumstance, of her situation, freed me up to be even more fully present with her, freed me up to just be with her. And every, there was no future. Every moment with my mother became the last moment. Every moment became incredibly precious. Every moment became incredibly sacred. Every, like the she would make tea and I would look at her making tea, something that just bored me to sit there and watch my mother making tea. And I, I realized this could be the last time I ever see her making a cup of tea. This could be the last conversation I have with my mother. This could be the last time I, I'd been chemo session with my mother for eight hours. And I thought, geez, I haven't, I haven't sat with my mother for eight hours since I was a kid. And, you know, in the face of her mortality, what really actually saddened me was why did I wait till she was dying? to have this moment, you know, and we think we always have another moment. There's a moment in the future. And so it really, death really brought me in touch with the preciousness of life. And it made me savor every moment with my mother. And so for me, my only regret became like, why did I wait and not spending more time with her? And interestingly, during this process with my mother, I got to be with her for an entire year during her her process from when she was diagnosed to when she passed away. And about six months into it, the doctors finally told her directly, and I was there. Basically, they said, there's nothing else we can do, so get your affairs in order. In a nice way, they tell you you're going to die, basically. And I remember that moment, and I was ready for it, but it's, it, it's still heartbreaking. And I remember going to the car with my mother and looking my mother in the eyes feeling my heart cracking and breaking and I'm trying to hold back the tears. And I say to my mother, are you afraid? This is the kind of woman she was. I said, are you afraid? And she looks me in the eyes, this little Japanese woman. And she says, without any fear, you know, I'm not afraid. She wasn't faking it. I'm not afraid because I know I'm not this body. This body will die. But my soul, my, the true me, Will, will is eternal. So I will be with you from the other side. Don't worry. And she had honestly no fear. And it was incredible to feel her strength in this moment, to feel that, that knowing, that embodiment of her true, the true knowing of what she was. I started to feel like, geez, my mother is an enlightened being and I didn't even know right. it. You know, I didn't know it. Right. And then I asked my mother, is there anything I can do for you? in your final days. And I think this is also what inspired the book. Is there anything I can do for you in your final days to be a good son? Like, can I take you somewhere? Can we do something? And she said, no, there's nothing I need and there's nothing I want. All I want, all I want is what God wants for my life. And it hit me so hard because as I looked at her, the level of conviction, the level of peace during this entire six, seven month period, she was 
truly, authentically, not a spiritual bypass. She was really in such peace with herself and her life and her journey. She didn't cry. She didn't feel like a victim. She didn't complain. She didn't get upset. She was calm and peaceful and in equanimity with her journey. And I realized in that moment that she was surrendered. She wasn't attached to living. She wasn't attached to dying. She was just open to her soul's journey. And that was the freedom uh, for her. And that's the kind of person she was. I mean, this is a whole other story, but, but I won't even get into all the detail of it. But, but my, my mother and my father I met, you know, 40 some years ago. And yeah, that was, that was powerful. Yeah. Feel free to share a little bit. Of, yeah. So that, it, it's, it's it, remarkable. Like, your father was a, really, a healer, a famous healer, and your yeah. mother's on the other side of the world speaking a different language. They couldn't even speak the same language. So I realized that my mother had been living surrender her entire life, mm-hmm. her entire life. So here's the, here's the short version of the story. I'll, I'll kind of give a synopsis because I think it sets the foundation for sure. me and my life. So my, basically, yes, my father, my first memories as a young boy, just to set the context, was I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out, out of wheelchairs uh, I remember seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. Man was my father. My father didn't even know. And so week after week, I grew up seeing my father look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? Put his hands on them. Boom, stand up. I grew up seeing my father look at someone with crutches and say, throw your crutches away, put his hands on them. And they would start running around, you know, around, around the room. And I grew up with this, 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 this miracle man as a father and this sense of anything was possible. To be honest, I didn't know that anything was different. I didn't know that anything was strange. I just thought this was normal. And, and it was nothing special. It was just my reality. And people often think, is that stuff real? I grew up witnessing it daily with my own eyes and, and nothing was strange. And so I, I feel very blessed now because I began to realize that it wasn't really a normal upbringing and it wasn't, it, these weren't normal experiences, but they felt very normal to me until I would go to school and I'd tell my friends and I'd tell the teacher, hey, I saw someone stand up at a wheelchair on Sunday. I saw <laughs> someone stand up, at, uh, someone who couldn't see coming and they thought I was a little crazy. So one time the, the, the teacher came to my father's church. My father built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa hundreds of thousands of followers, but he built a huge church in London. The teacher comes to my father's church with 5,000 people on a Sunday in the 80s at his height. And all these people were being healed. And then they finally realized that wasn't like out of my mind. And so this just gives a sense of who my father was. And so when my, so the story of how my parents met was because it's a story of surrender. When my father was eight years old, this is in the maybe the late 30s, the early 40s, he would have these visions of a Japanese guru, a Japanese spiritual teacher who would come to him in the middle of Africa in his dreams, no internet, no cell phones, nothing, would come to my father in his dreams and teach him about life, teach him about the nature of reality. When my father was 15, he had a religious spiritual experience where he gave his life to, to God and became Christian. And he started healing people. He just innocently started healing people. Something happened, boom, it began. He became known as this miracle man. He built 300 churches. From from that time to 37, he got married, had three children with his first wife. His first wife dies. At 37 years old, 
he, uh, in the 70s, mid-70s, he is in a bookstore in Ghana. A book kind of falls off the shelf. He looks at the back of the book and he sees the face of this Japanese spiritual teacher that had been coming to him in his dreams when he was age eight. He freaks out because he didn't oh know goodness. that this guy was real. He didn't know this guy was real. So he, so he, had, ne- he, right. he had never seen... He'd never seen this guy in real life. He just was Only in, in his imagine in his dreams. So he writes to this man and he says, hey, sir, you've been coming to me since I was a kid. You're my spiritual father. I want to meet you. You know, this is a miracle. This spiritual teacher was a real person, writes, he had millions of followers, writes to my father, sends his son-in-law to meet my father in Ghana. The son-in-law is so impressed with my father and what he's built invites my father to, to meet the guru in Japan and go on a lecture tour with the guru. We're talking stadiums and auditoriums. <laughs> it was like amazing. My father obviously accepts. Uh, <laughs> it's wild, honestly. Uh, and so my father accepts, but my father says to the man, look, I am looking for a wife. And so pray for me. The man, the son-in-law says, yes, I'll pray for you. He goes back to Japan. The son-in-law of the guru gives a lecture in Tokyo. In this lecture, he announces to everyone there, this miracle man, my father, is coming to Japan on these dates. Set your calendars. He's going to go on a lecture tour with the guru. My mother grew up in this spiritual organization. The Japanese man was her teacher. He was her parents' teacher, so she grew up in this spiritual tradition. She's 28, 29 at the time. In Japan, if you're not married by like 23, 24, have kids, you're old, your life is over. She's 28, her life is finished. She hasn't met, the, she hasn't met her soulmate, she's 29. Everyone's thinking something wrong with her. So she says a prayer, shows you who my mother is in terms of like real surrender. She says a, a prayer. Her prayer is, God, I will marry anyone you tell me to marry doesn't matter who it is, black, white, green, short, tall, fat, thin, rich, poor, ugly. It doesn't matter. Just let it be clear that this is my soul mate. That's it. This is my life partner. My mother's in the audience hearing this, the son-in-law talk about my father coming to Japan to lecture with the guru. My mother feels chills in her body. She feels this knowing this is my husband. She writes to my father. She doesn't speak English. Her sister translates. My father doesn't speak Japanese. So she writes to my father. My father is meditating. He happens to be in London. In his prayers, he feels the sense that my wife is going to come to me any day now. No idea why. The next day he goes to the mailbox. There's a letter from Japan. Before he opens it, he says, this is my wife. He opens it. A letter from my mother, nothing romantic, nothing flirtatious, Japanese style. I'm looking forward to hearing you speak in, in, in Japan. This is who I am. See you there. That's it. This is my wife. He writes to her in English. Her sister translates. He writes and says, would you be open to moving to Ghana? <laughs> kind of a semi-proposal. She writes back and says, if it's God's will. He writes back and says, yes, it's God's will. Marry me. She writes back and says, yes. They agree to get married, having never seen each other, no conversation, no no Facebook stalking, nothing, just a soul surrender. It's, I mean, that's, that's the sort of foundation for, you could say, what I was born into. And so my father goes to Japan, meets my mother the first time. They have chaperones because it's old school. They go to the park. They're being watched. They meet for 45 minutes. They can't have a conversation. 
they agreed to get married by pointing at each other. They make an agreement. They have a date. I think it was June the 23rd. They agreed to get married. And my father goes on this lecture tour. One, one small problem, my father doesn't have any money. He's not being paid for this lecture tour. He's from Africa. The currency is different. And you can't really be a foreigner, go to Japan and not throw a wedding to honor the family and the parents. But my father doesn't have money. So he gets the guidance, just trust. Six weeks later, he's finished with his lecture tour. He goes to his mailbox, opens the mailbox. There was an envelope. He opens the envelope, $7,000 in U.S. cash. No name, anonymous. My father told no one that he didn't have money. All it says is this is for your wedding. They get married. They go on oh honeymoon. They can't speak. And, and so... You know, they really lived surrender together in such a way. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about surrender. That's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this topic. And I actually see, here's the thing. This was not, here's what's funny. This was not the book I thought I was going to write. When my mother passed away, I felt like there was a book inside me. I felt like I had such amazing experiences with her when she passed away during that year. And also when she passed away, I felt this, this connection with her spiritually, psychically. I felt closer to her, like she was speaking to me. And so I learned so much that I felt like there was a book. And I remember sitting, uh, writing on a huge whiteboard, all of these ideas of the book I wanted to write, all of these ideas of the book I thought I should write, all of these ideas of the book I thought a publisher would want to buy, all of these ideas that I thought my audience would want to read. And I had all of these hundreds of ideas, book titles, topics, themes, words. None of them really resonated and none of them I could honestly say felt in my own integrity. I mean, they were, they could work. They, they, I might write them one day, but none of them I felt that's the book until one day I just gave up. And I looked at the, uh, uh, the whiteboard full of ideas and great concepts. The only word that was really circled and highlighted that resonated in my soul was the word surrender. And I thought, Oh shit, that's, that's, that's the freaking that's the book. And I resisted because I'm like, I don't want to write about surrender. Like, you know, I mean, we tend to run away from surrender. Surrender tends to be scary. We tend to resist surrender, like going to the dentist, but I just knew this was the book that was seeking to be written. This was the book that, had a soul of its own. And when I surrendered to that, I realized I wasn't the one going to write it. I really felt like I just needed to get out of, out of the way, out and, of the allow, way. and allow the book to happen. And so that's how the book came about. And we can obviously speak that's more about beautiful, surrender. which speaks to the obstacles to surrender that you highlight in the book. But I wanted to say about your parents, a lot of times people enter into relationships from the bottom up, or if you think of yeah. chakras, starts with physical, desire. From the physical. Physical. Level. Yeah. Yeah. They feel this strong physical attraction, right? And then if you're lucky, you you know, you have some some philosophy that's aligned, some spirituality aligned. And if you're really lucky, you're kind of soulmates where you evolve together. But your parents met here <laughs> and went down. <laughs> and went down and built a family. So I think that's a you know, there's a lot of wisdom in that itself for yeah. people listening to this because we, you know, we're taught in society, you know, you, you go out and you and hook up culture. You hook up with somebody and you hope you can build from there. But with surrender, people, well, with well, trust, well, yeah, it, yeah. it could happen the other way where, you know, you could be guided by spirit yeah. to, you know, to a soul connection. What were you going to yeah. say? 
No, you ask people, well, why did you ask that person out? She was cute. She was hot. Or right. you know, he was handsome. It has nothing to do with anything deeper <laughs> in terms of the level of the soul. And right. so we're more attached to being like lust mates, sex mates, body mates, mind mates, you know, feeling yeah. mates, but not soul mates. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think. In but so it takes many- some trust to be able, because people say, well, I mean, how do you meet somebody in spirit? Well, that's where growing yourself and cultivating what you're talking about, why it matters. Yeah, yeah. You know, in terms of surrender, just, just, just to set a context uh-huh. for, for, for the continued conversation, um, I think in our culture, surrender is, is made to sound like something terrifying and scary. I think in our culture, there are mis- so many misconceptions as to what surrender is and isn't. And I wanted to, and I want to kind of reframe surrender for people so that they can get it as something exciting and beautiful mm-hmm. and magnificent and, and inspiring to, to, to live by. And I think as a humanity, the last two years, we, have, we are being initiated into a whole new way of living, which is less about living from force and ego and more about living in alignment with our souls and the universe. So surrender. You know, there's this idea that surrender means uh, weakness, that surrender means waving the white flag, surrender means giving up, surrender means being a victim, surrender means uh, being a doormat, surrender means you won't manifest your goals, dreams and desires, surrender means uh, you're going to get less than if you're going to settle. And I'm actually, or, or this idea that, hey, surrender means selling everything, going to the Himalayas, having a robe and a begging bowl and, and living like a monk and giving up your possessions. And so who the hell wants to do that? You know, that's not the most uh, exciting, uh, enticing view of surrender. No wonder we have some resistance to it. And so I just want people to know that to me, I believe that surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. I believe that surrender is the real secret to true authentic manifestation, that surrender is the password to freedom. If you look at all of the great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Mother (laughs) Teresa, I mean, you know, dare I say Elon Musk, you know, or or an Oprah or uh, uh, Mandela or you know, Martin Luther King, at some point, they all had to surrender themselves to a vision that was bigger than themselves, to the universe, to life. And in doing that, they transcended themselves. They went beyond their own human mental ego's limitation. And in transcending themselves, they tapped into another dimension of their potential, another dimension of, you could say, life that then flowed through them and manifested through them and created through them and used them in ways that were truly miraculous. And so surrender is letting go of control or the illusion of control that we think that we have. Because control is really an illusion. We think we're in control, but we're really not in that much control. The last two years, I think, have shown us surrender is when we stop trying to force and manipulate life to fit into our limited idea of how we think it should be, because we sometimes get so attached to how we think it should be. Even in relationships, we get so attached to, oh, my soulmate has to look like this. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have brown hair. They're gonna have a, you know, they're gonna have a, a beard. They're gonna not have a beard. They're gonna be six foot tall. They have, they have to, you know, make this income. And, and and we don't realize sometimes with our attachment to our projection of what we think we want, we are limiting 
ourselves. We are actually putting limits on life. And so surrender is to let go of the idea of who we think we should be and how we think life should be. Because sometimes what we think we want is not what we really want. It's just what we think we want yeah. based on who we think we are. And so to surrender is to be open, to be available, to live in that curiosity, to live with the openness and availability. Because when we're truly open and available to the highest good, which we're not always able to see in a given moment, then we're open to the infinite possibilities and infinite ways that life in its intelligence can unfold. It doesn't mean not doing nothing. It doesn't mean sitting there and being passive. It means aligning with your deepest truth, aligning with what your soul wants, aligning with your deepest soul's intention and going in that direction, giving everything, but without attachment. And so to me, I love that. that just sets the context of, hey, this right. is what surrender is. I like the way that you you also explain it in this this way of sculpting, the way like Michelangelo removes everything that's not the David yes. in the statue, yes. which points to a reality that transcends creeds and faiths, that, that there's something natural. You don't actually go out and, and grab surrender. It's natural. It's innate in yeah. all of us. Yeah. But by letting go of attachment, like you said, and the illusion of control, it gets to operate through us or to use us as that vehicle. And it's hard for people because a lot of the attachments that they have is to a noble vision. You described that in your book. You had this great vision to be of yeah. great impact and service, but you had an, you had it narrowly defined <laughs> yeah. in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. You had to actually surrender even that control. And that's how subtle our ego is, right? Where it's like, but I have, you know, a worth a worthwhile mission. I have good intentions. And yet still control is in there. You may appreciate this. I love etymology of words. And you probably know this, but if you don't, you'll you'll like it. That surrender evolves from French and old English, surrender. Render, obviously, is to hand over or to give control over. Now, that's where people get stuck because that, that render usually applies to like transferring property to somebody else. Uh -huh. But the prefix sur, kut, means the beyond. So in this case, surrender means to relinquish control to the beyond. To life. You know, to life. To, to life, this intelligence right. that is that has been around for billions and billions of years, this innate intelligence that when you cut your finger, it knows exactly how to heal. We don't have to sit there and go, heal, 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 heal. We don't have to sit there and do some fancy spiritual mantra. We, we, we don't have to sit, you and I have been having this conversation and we don't have to sit here and go, breathe, 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 breathe. It's happening. Right. There is an intelligence of life and innate intelligence right. that is functioning trillions and trillions of cells in your body. It's unarguable, whether you're spiritual, whether you're not, whether you're right. Hitler, whether you're Mother Teresa, whether you're Elon Musk, whether you're Oprah, whether you're Charles Manson, whether you're, you know, Donald Trump, it doesn't matter. The same intelligence is functioning. You, me, all of existence. We just kind of forget because we get so identified with our ego. We get so identified with our sense of what we think ourselves to be that we've lost touch with that flow. We've lost touch with our true nature. And so maybe to give people a bit of a context. Yeah. We are born, we're born in that surrender. You know, as children, children, they're surrendered. You know, if you look into a mm -hmm. child's eyes, they're just being, 
They cry when they want to cry. They shit when they want to shit. They giggle when they want to giggle. They don't hold their emotions back. They're just being, a child doesn't have the self-contractive ego with consciousness of, oh, what, 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 what is Coop thinking about me? You know, like a child will jump naked on the table, doesn't care, like, oh, you know, let, let me hide my belly fat. It's just being. A and child moves is, right into the next moment, right? It's moves, like if last fearless. week was, was boring, they, they're, all, they're past that. Fearless. A child will jump on the table and sing. Doesn't care if it doesn't sound like Bruno Mars or Adele. (laughs) It's just like, ah, no, no shame. No, no shame. No ego about what you think or don't think until we start getting told that's shit. That's not okay. That's good. That's right. That's wrong. We get conditioned in this matrix of education and religion and society and parents. And so we were this free, unconditioned, surrendered beings to the flow, to what we were. So what happened? We were born, we incarnated, and in the process of conditioning began. We met our parents, our parents who were conditioned with their pain and their trauma and their parents. We met them. We were born into a kind of framework of conditioning where there was some dysfunction. So, you know, maybe dad was an alcoholic or mom wasn't present or, the, or, or there was mental health issues or there was divorce or they were there was abuse or they were fighting consistently. And so two things happened where the sort of resistance and control patterns start to become created, which is how the ego structure, which is all about control and making sure that we don't get hurt, starts getting created. That starts blocking our ability to surrender, blocking that flow. First thing is we start learning unconsciously as children, a system, a strategy, a defense mechanism to shut down, disconnect, and not feel the pain of our environment. Shut down, disconnect, not feel. Mom is not present. Dad is not present. Dad, mom is beating dad. Dad is, be, you know, having an affair. This is going on. I'm getting bullied. Shut down, disconnect, not feel. And, and we start erecting all sorts of defense mechanisms to not feel the pain of what's going on, we start suppressing those emotions as a way to not feel the pain, to protect our sensitivity, and we start erecting all sorts of walls and layers upon layers upon layer upon layer of unfelt feelings starts getting stacked. And before you know it, our our flow isn't flowing. We're not in touch with our light and essence. It's there. It just gets hidden, and our true set self gets sort of hidden underneath this this pattern of conditioned defense mechanisms that is designed to keep us safe so that we don't feel the pain of what we experience. So that now we go through life, never, I will never feel this pain again for the rest of my life. And now we go through life this way, which is why we end up controlling so tightly because now we get into a relationship, we get into love. And this mechanism is that worked for us when, when we were five is now in the way that doesn't allow us to open our heart that doesn't allow us to surrender. Why? Because we made up in that moment, often unconsciously, I will never feel this out of control again. I will never feel this pain again. I will never feel this hurt again. And that defense mechanism that got created to make sure we don't feel that pain again, we're living that in our lives. The second thing is we now go into life and we start developing all sorts of roles and masks and personas. We start contorting ourselves into a certain shape and we start going into the sense of who do I need to be in order to be loved by mom and dad? Oh, if I'm nice. Oh, for me, as a preacher's kid, I, I learned to be nice and perfect and polite and take care of everyone and the responsible one. I couldn't really screw up. I had to get all A's, right? It's just 
what's expected when you're the miracle worker son. And so we start developing all sorts of roles, masks, personas that we start holding tightly onto to get love, validation and approval. It's another control pattern. I'm going to control who I am so that I show you what I think you want to see so that you can give me the love that I want and need. And we start, we start holding, we start contorting into the shape to avoid pain, to get love. We become this pattern, set pattern of conditioned responses. And we think that's who we are. And we get so identified with this way of being and we say, no, this is just me. This is just who I am. But the thing is, who we are is not necessarily what we really are. It's just the set pattern of conditioning that we've learned to become. And so we have to be willing to ask the question, is who you are, who you really are, or is it just what you've been conditioned to be? And this is why surrendering can, can seem so scary because the more tightly we are held onto our pattern of conditioning, ego, so to speak, ego, ego is not a thing, it's a process. Ego is the process of identification with body, name, form, emotions, memory, past experiences. And the more tightly we hold on to that out of survival, which we learn to do, we think this is who we are. So to let go, oh shit, I might get hurt. To let go, whoa, maybe I won't get my needs met. To let go can seem so scary because to let go feels like a death for what we think ourselves to be, which is this structured set pattern of ego. That's why it can seem scary. And so I have a lot of, I think when we understand that, that we are not this ego, that we are so much more, it opens up the ability to have maybe some compassion for how scary it seems, because to let go feels like, who will I be? If I let these beliefs, if I question myself, who will I be? If I'm not this, who, who, who will I be and how will I be safe? And Which so explains some of the discord we see in society because people are so, like you're describing, so identified. So identified. Right? The belief itself, to even question a belief is like a Scary. threat to self. It's a threat to self. Right? So that's what we get so offended. respond aggressively. Yes. That's because they're so... Through so enmeshed with the belief. Imagine yeah. if we could get beliefs, just a little space. Yeah, exactly. And then we'd have that space to be able to explore, okay, well, who are we really? And who, how can we reconnect with warmth and unity and harmony? Yeah. Yeah. It's who you are, who you really are, or, or, or is it who you've been conditioned to be? Because identity mm -hmm. in, 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 is suffering, because when we really believe ourselves to be this thing and you believe yourself to be that thing, it creates separation and self-preservation and protection. And, yeah. and, and that's, when, mm -hmm. that's when even in relationships, right, egos clash. Mm -hmm. And that's why in relationships, there's so much conflict because when two people are so identified to their ego selves, their right. identity, it can be really terrifying to come together and so even surrender in love and, and let yeah. go to love. And so the degree to which we're conditioned is a degree to which we're not free. We think we have free will, but we don't even realize that we're acting out and reacting to life from past conditioning, from past programming, 
you know, reacting to what happened when I was a child, reacting to who dad was. And we, we're not even conscious that we're mm-hmm. not really choosing. We're in reaction to life, trying to make sure we don't get hurt. We don't feel that. We're not seen a certain way. And so the first thing is we also have to acknowledge and realize and become aware of our patterns and the fact that I'm conditioned. Yeah. We're conditioned. And we have to start yeah. becoming aware of that conditioning, observing that conditioning, realizing that conditioning, that identity is not who we really are. It's not who we are. Because if we think that's who we are, then it can be scary to surrender that and let that go. You are not your beliefs. You are not your feelings. You are not your thoughts. What you are is so much more. And so then we have to be willing to feel underneath that, to feel the, 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 the feelings, the emotions that we have learned to suppress Mm -hmm. the emotions that we've learned to suppress and suppress and suppress that we then control and live in a way of control. So the control is really a way to make sure we don't feel that Mm. pain again. And that's why it's hard to like, if I surrender, I might have to feel that pain again, but part of true authentic healing, not a spiritual bypass is the willingness to be embodied and the willingness to acknowledge your humanity and the willingness to just, you know, step by step, feel, acknowledge, feel, process, release those layers of feelings that we have frozen into a certain shape so that we can actually let them go and open up again and let go again and surrender again. And so it, it, it's, a, it's a process, you know, but it starts with, with awareness. I like how you bring relationships into your book. You had a really vulnerable moment that, that touched me when you were talking uh, about on your walk, the Camino trail oh, yeah. in Spain where you met Eduardo and it, the vulnerability with which you were able to surrender to his, his suggestion was really powerful for me, especially having gone through a few relationships that didn't work out where you were able to surrender to Surrender over that victimization that these kind of women have come into my life and disrupted my life. But no, really, it was an unconscious pattern unconscious, yeah. of abandonment playing out or fear of abandonment. And the, the reality was, I want a jealous woman. And unless yeah. you could surrender to that, <laughs> you couldn't really be free and, and yeah. get unstuck. And that's so powerful, Coot. And I mean, it was such a, a moment of mending masculinity too, mm. you know, and, and, you know, I, I loved how you wove that into the book because that that's part of, I think the healing of us all as well is understanding these subconscious dynamics and, and in our attempts to protect our egos, to be safe, you end up getting crushed under the weight of your own illusions. So, uh, I mean, I felt empowered by your vulnerability in that part of the book. And I think a lot of men will who discover your book and, wow, uh, and get great. to that part. So, in a sense, relationships then, Coot, uh, in the way you're describing it, are actually mirrors. Yeah. Into, mirrors into, uh, to reflect back our, our nature. And it's telling us something. It's teaching us something. So, in that sense, like you said in other parts of the book, we can surrender all this idea of imperfection. There is actually a perfection in the imperfection when it becomes your lesson, it becomes mm-hmm. your wisdom, and it becomes exactly what you needed. And in that way, like, like you said in the book, you can't miss your destiny. You can't. 
You can't. I really like that. Now, yeah, you use what, a couple. Yeah, go ahead. What's meant to be yours is, I always say, what's meant to be yours is yours. And what's not meant to be yours will never be yours. And so when you relax in that knowing, like if it doesn't happen, if it doesn't show up and it never happens, it doesn't happen. If you've done your best, it's not, it's not yours. And so forcing something to be something that it's not doesn't make it so. And when you force things to be or force a relationship to be like, this person has to be my soulmate and, and you try to make them be, maybe you force them to be, maybe you get married, but it's not going to flow. It's, right. not, it's not going to flow. So I think when right. we can relax in that knowing that life has an intelligence, then that's the freedom. The other thing I would just say, just to, yeah. to, to give people something really also practical to work with, one of the things that I think blocks and stops surrender are all the ways we lie to ourselves. Oh, can you repeat beings. that? Or what? All of the ways that we lie that we lie, that we BS, that we don't tell ourselves the truth. We stay in relationships, again, to out of control. We try to control the outcome. We try to control that I don't, I don't want to feel that pain again. And so in so many ways, we lie to ourselves. And sometimes we're not even, we, we're in denial. We don't even know that we're lying. We stay in relationships that we know are not aligned. We work jobs where we know we are compromising our integrity in some way out of fear and security and, and familiarity. And so to me, if you want to start surrendering, if you want to truly begin transforming your life and transforming your reality, it starts with the truth. It starts with telling yourself the truth about who you are about what you feel, about what you want, about what you need, about what's really going on inside. The truth will set you free. It, it might shake some things up. It might piss you off. But there is no real authentic transformation without the truth. That's where we have to start. And so if I were to give people a few questions that they could just yeah. begin asking themselves from today's conversations, number one, ask yourself, what lies am I telling myself? What, li like, what lies am I telling myself? I tell people that you must want the truth more than you want what you have. You must want the truth more than you want what you think you want. Question I ask people in my seminars, the beginning of some of my intensive seminars, what do you want? Sounds like a simple question. What do you want? more than anything else. Sit with that a second. What do you want more than anything else? Because many times we say we want to be free. We say, I want to be free. I want to be free. I want to be free. No, we don't. We want our comfort more. <laughs> we want our safety more. We want our validation more. But what I have found is when you truly, truly, freedom isn't free. Freedom will require that you give up something. That you give, that see, the next level of your life requires the next level of you, which requires that you let go of who you are, that requires that you let go of a story, that you let go of an addiction, that you let go of stuff from the past that's no longer aligned or vibrational match. But as human beings, what we tend to do is we tend to hold on out of self, -com out of comfort, out of self-preservation, out of familiarity, but holding on to what's no longer aligned a relationship, a job, a situation, whatever it is, holding on to what's no longer aligned. 
blocks our blessing, keeps us stuck in the same cycle. When we, when we let go, which requires a bit of courage, of, of the lower for the higher, when we let go, then we make space, we make room for new possibilities, for new relationships, for life. And so what lies am I telling myself? Freedom's not free. It requires letting something go. What lies am I telling myself? Be ruthlessly, radically, compassionately honest. It will set you free. To me, happiness and fulfillment is simple. Not always easy for the reasons around conditioning that we spoke about, but it's simple. Feel the truth, acknowledge the truth, tell the truth, you know, express the truth, live the truth. If we do that, happy life, but not always easy because we're conditioned and we're not machines. We're human beings with complexity. But truth for me is real spiritual practice. Truth for me is real prayer. Truth is real yoga. Truth is real meditation. To me, in life, you don't get what you think about. You don't get what you pray about. You don't get what you visualize. You don't get what you, what you, what you try to law of attract. You get in life not what you want. You get what you are. And when we hold on to stuff that is not working and we hold on to that, we stay stuck. What lies are you telling yourself? Number two, what are you pretending to not know? Because in so many ways, we play this game of confusion and about the truth, what I would also say is take the pressure off of yourself from having to take action. Because sometimes we, the reason we don't tell ourselves the truth and we, we, we play this unconscious game of confusion and I don't know is because we're afraid if I really acknowledge the truth, I might have to do something about it. I might have to take action. I might, I might need to break up. I might need to get a divorce. I might... That means I need to leave my job. And because of that fear, we stay in this cloud of confusion because if I'm confused, I don't have to do anything about it. But if you take the pressure off of yourself from having to take action and you just acknowledge the truth, the truth might be, I hate my job. Stop saying I'm grateful. Uh, it's not so bad. No, I hate my job and just feel that. Sometimes mm -hmm. we use gratitude as a spiritual bypass to not get in touch with the truth. I was I just going to say, you know, what you're saying is, is not spiritual bypassing then, you know, the, yeah, it, it the, is, the it facing is re reality. It, that's spirituality. It's facing reality. It's not just, you know, going on a plant medicine journey, you know, holding crystals, you know, elevating your chakras, real spirituality. It's the courage to face reality as it is. To me, nothing as spiritual as that because then things will change. You will alchemize your life. And to truly shift reality, you have to get in touch with reality. And so take the pressure off of having to take action. Feel the truth. I'm not in love with my wife anymore. Feel that. You don't have to divorce. But let that process begin marinating inside of you and like let that digest and see what starts unfolding and where that takes you and what the learning is and it will begin a process. So what am I pretending to not know? We sometimes say, oh, I'm confused. I'm confused. I don't know what my, what my purpose is in life. When, it, when the truth is, there's usually a part of us that knows. There's usually a part of, there's, there's a part, I believe there's a part of us that knows everything. Because at the deepest level, we are everything. And yet, sometimes we'll say, I don't know what my purpose is, because if I, 
if I'm unclear on, let's say, what, what, what my purpose is, then I don't have to really risk and take the action to put myself out there. I can always live in the security and the comfort zone of the safety and live in the hope of the future fantasy without having to take that risk. But life is risky. Everything is risky. It's risky to surrender. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it's risky to stay where we are because you don't know what tomorrow holds. Every moment is a risk and every moment has its own risk. I always say I'd rather risk knowing I gave everything and there was nothing left behind. Number three, what is the, what is the pain or what is the cost of lying to yourself? Lying to yourself has a cost. Lying to yourself is painful. When you lie to yourself, it's not meant to feel good. It's meant to feel painful. To me, the fact that you feel pain is a sign that you're actually healthy. Because if you felt great because you were lying to yourself and betraying yourself, something's wrong. Something's not connecting inside. The alarm system is a little off. You know, in the, in the house, when there's a fire, the alarm goes off. Inside you, when there's a fire, it's painful. Pain is not the issue. The issue is we deny the pain. We, Correct. We, we suppress it. We drink it away. We numb it away. We smoke it away. We sex it away. We, we porn it away. We social media it away. We shop it away. We'll fill in the blank. And we don't deal with the pain. Pain is feedback. Pain is a blessing. Pain is a gift that is trying to get our attention so that we can course correct, so that we can mm -hmm. see what truth am I not telling? And if we acknowledge the pain and use it as feedback to course correct, that's when we can truly start transforming ourselves. And so what is the cost? And to feel the cost. Feel Like I tell people, let it burn inside. Don't run from it. Mm. Let it burn. You, even if you don't take action, I'm not saying right. be irresponsible and, and like leave your job and not be able to feed your, child, your kid, but don't distract yourself with all the entertainment of the circus of life and stay in the same situation year after year mm. after year after year with dreams, dreams that you know you are here to fulfill with gifts that you know that you have, that you will end up dying with. Life is short. I tell people, yeah. you are going to die. Feel that, you know, it, it, as a way to like get in touch with the truth, you're going to die. I'm going to die. Feel your death. Feel it close. As human beings, we, we're so avoiding and running from our death on a spiritual surrender level, but also on a human level, like, we think we're going to, we live like we're going to live forever, but the truth is we could go at any moment. The people in 9-11 had no idea that they weren't going to come home that night and look their loved ones in the eyes and say, hey, I'm really sorry, or I screwed up, or I really love you. And so I tell people, feel your death, feel it close, use the reality, because it's real, it's not theory, use the reality of death, not as a morbid thing, but as a as a fierce motivation, inspiration, urgency to, to move you into deeper truth. Because when you die, we can't go to our maker and say, can I get a refund on those two years that I <laughs> languished in that relationship? You know, can I get a refund on those five years I worked that job that I really hated and just didn't have the, the time is gone. For me, the only regret I have, bro, is, in my life, and I've done some things, is not spending more time with my mom. I thought I had time. Honestly, there were so many things 
I wanted to do with my mom. We started the conversation with my mom. I wanted to take her on vacations. I wanted to take her here. And, the, and I, just, I, thought I, I thought I had time. And when I realized I didn't, it's like, wow. And so I'm just telling people, live the truth. Live your truth. Your truth may not be anyone else's truth, and it's not meant to be, but don't wait. How would you need to live your life in such a way that if death came right now, I appreciate those three questions, Kurt, especially yeah. that last one. It's memento mori. When we remember that we are going to die, it really brings clarity. And clarity. If you, just, if you can surrender to that inevitability, then you can get into the, the business of real living. Of you real know? living. Yeah. You know, people sometimes think, oh, this is, a, this is darkness. No, no, it's, it's uh, truth, living the truth. If you can't surrender to the fact that this body, yes, your soul is eternal, right, but right. this talking, body right. will die. It's, it, it, it has an expiration date. If you can surrender to that, it will free you up to go for it. It will free you to up go for it. To, 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 to live life. Because what's the fully. real risk, Coot? If you're in an arcade for several hours and you get these tokens, what's the real risk is leaving with some tokens. Yeah. <laughs> Play the tokens. Play, man. We are here to experience. We are here to grow and evolve. You know, at the end of your life, you can't take anything with you. I was in Egypt. The first time I went to Egypt, I went to the pyramids. Then I went to the, the uh, Cairo Museum where they had the, the guide was showing me all of Tutankhamun's like gold, an entire floor full of Tutankhamun's gold jewelry, probably billions and if not trillions of dollars worth of like stuff. And I remember looking around, this was like 15 years ago. And I remember looking around and I thought, all this gold and Tutankhamun is not here. All this gold and Tutankhamun is not here. You can't take any of this stuff with you. you can't take the it with only you. thing we take with us is the evolution of our souls, the lessons that we learn and who we become in the process. And I think one thing that sometimes stops us from truly surrendering is we get so attached to that goal. We get so attached to what we think success is. We get so attached to a specific outcome that we freeze and we try to control. But the truth is sometimes the goal is not really the goal. The goal is the necessary puzzle piece to take you on the journey so that you can grow, learn, and evolve. And when you're more focused, not on the, the, the fulfillment or the, of the outcome or the goal, but when you're more focused on the process and the less and learning the lessons that your soul is meant to learn along the way in every relationship and every situation, realizing that first and foremost, you are a soul that you've incarnated in this human experience. This human experience is the school for your soul's evolution. Every situation, every relationship, good, bad, up, down, positive, negative is part of the curriculum for your soul's evolution. And you become more focused on learning the lessons, no matter what the situation you can never lose. To me, that's the freedom. When we surrender to that, that I'm a soul and I'm here to go learn and evolve and I can learn, grow and evolve in any moment, that's the freedom to play life fully. Thank you so much, Coot. Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to say that I don't have any tattoos, but when people ask me, what would you get or what would you have got? I, I often say I would get the Sanskrit word for surrender wow. on my arm. It's pranidana. 
Wow. It's pranidhana. And when, when I saw that word for the first time, learning about yoga, I also traveled to India and spent a, a significant amount of time with a teacher, as you did. And uh, that word just like shines out of the books, pranidhana, surrender, even before I knew what it meant. But uh, dana, again, is, has this root do, to give, give up, and pra is the supreme. It's often preceded by Ishwara Pranidhana, which most people think means surrender to the Lord. But that word Ishwara actually is, it can be used as one's deity only as like a placeholder for getting out of your ego. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me believe that, you know, Krishna's behind all this, Jesus behind all this, or God. But then ultimately you come to this idea that my sense of self was an illusion, was so limited, was so confined. Yeah. That's what I love about surrender, Kut. This idea that that freedom stands on the other side that's what of this prison of our mind. Yeah. yeah, the limitation of what we think we are, ultimately. Right. So thank you for uh, this conversation, for sharing these, these wisdom points, and for bringing your book into the world. It's called Magic of Surrender. Uh, Kut, uh, before uh, we we part for now, do you mind sharing where people can find your book, sure. find you, thank follow you, your work? You. Really appreciate the beautiful conversation and, yeah, and, me the, too. Thank and you. The, the, the thoughtfulness and, and the care that you've put into the conversation. I really felt it. Uh, it's My been pleasure. A joy. Uh, yeah, for those that want to know more, I'm excited because the paperback version for The Magic of Surrender is coming out on May the 3rd officially. So I just would love to invite everyone, pre-order the paperback version. Pre-order the paperback, because here's why. I decided to do something very special. If you pre-order the paperback before May the 3rd, you'll get a receipt. Uh, with that receipt, I'm doing on May the 7th, a very special event for those that pre-ordered the paperback before May the 3rd. It's gonna be, it's, it's, the, the event is called Reinvent Live. I'm gonna be sharing for two to three hours a process of how to reinvent yourself in terms of letting go of the old version of oneself, connecting with your true authentic power and how to share your gifts with the world. It's going to be two to three hours live, virtual online with me. You can go to www.kuteblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar, kuteblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar. Go there, enter your name, enter your email, and also enter the receipt number. You'll get access to May 7th event and a bunch of free gifts. Also, uh, say hi. I'm on Instagram, Coop Blackson, uh, Facebook, Coop Blackson, my regular website, coopblackson.com. For those that want to perhaps take a deeper dive twice a year, I do a very special event in Bali for 12 days, www.boundlessblissbali.com. All right. There it is. Thank you so much, Coot, for sharing your gifts with us. Appreciate Looking forward to connecting again. I'll be cheering you on. Take care.